0: Today as we talk about fasting, I'm going to spend this, most of my time on fasting today. Um, when I'm working through the topic of fasting, it, it's a new topic. It's not, one, it's not new as in the Bible doesn't talk about it. It's new as in it's not commonly spoken of in the church where we're inviting the church to enter into this discipline of fasting. And there's very little understanding as a whole in the Western church on this incredible, I'll, I'll call it a discipline, but this incredible gift and tool that the Lord has given us. Um, I'm going to pray right away. The two people that have impacted me the most in the area or topic of, of fasting are two guys. One guy, his name is Mahesh Shavda, and he writes a book, um, The Hidden Power of Prayer and Fasting. I read it probably 10 or 12 years ago. Um, it was so good, I gave it to my dad. Do you remember that book? I think he still has it. And uh, we both began a life of fasting as a result, and it's it's an incredible book as a man who has the right or the authority to speak in this area. He's a guy, I'm going to read a little section out of the start of his book to whet your appetite. Some of you probably need to just order it and read it. I don't have it in the library right now. I will get my hands on it. But if you just need something to spur you on, this is an incredible book for that. And he's someone who who for many years of his life fasted for up to 150 days a year, which is like almost half of the days, which is crazy, because of the significant working of what happened in the spiritual realm and in him. And uh, fasting is not something that if you think, oh, I hate fasting. It's not Fasting is never like fun. Like, it's not like you're supposed to like, you know you're supposed to fast when like you're exhilarated by it. You're like, oh, I can hardly wait to not eat. This is going to be awesome. Like I can hardly wait to give up all my comforts. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. That should likely not ever be there or you should fast longer. Um, that's not really the, the point of this thing. So anyway, so that's Mahesh, M-A-H-E-S-H, Mahesh Shavda, and the other guy is Richard Foster. Any of you ever heard of him? He writes a book, Celebration of Discipline, but there's all sorts that he writes on. This is the area of the inner life. He, he speaks and writes a lot about those, and so they, they are very both very qualified to speak. So I'm going to read you just a little, a well, little, it's a couple minute excerpt from his book. Um, and I think it's to whet your appetite for the remainder of the message. Let me pray, and then I'll read here for you. God's so grateful for today. Grateful for the end of a year. Grateful for the promises that you have already spoken about what January and the year 2018 is to look like. Thank you, God, for prophetic vision and prophetic um, words that have come from your servants, by your Spirit, from you in heaven, Father, thank you. Thank you that you've given that to us. I pray that during this month in particular of January, we would be spurred on into an intimate walk with you. That we would walk into understanding your character and your nature and knowing you in a way that each of us has never walked before. God, I pray that uh, we'd, we'd walk out of this at more intimacy, but God, that our lives would be changed forever as a result. That we would always look back and say, Something began in the beginning of 2018, and it changed me forever. God, I ask that that is what would happen in this month. God, would you be given glory? We worship you. We want to honor you and adore you. God, we do not want to walk through this month and just in discipline of sacrifice and actually miss the whole point, which is to fall in love with you, to respond to you and obey you. And so, God, would you help us? Would you lead us? Uh, Holy Spirit, would you translate the words that I speak today, that it wouldn't be the enemy manipulating them, or the enemy saying, if you do this, then God will love you more, because that's not true. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the one who would help us to grasp and understand this beautiful gift that you've given us. God, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Early in my walk with Christ, Shabda writes, I went to work at a hospital for mentally Handicapped children in Lubbock, Texas. Just like Jesus was driven or impelled by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness, I was impelled to enter my own wilderness in Texas. And it was this state school for um, handicapped children. It was one of the most tragic places I could have chosen. My days there were filled with heartbreaking hours of interaction with broken and hurting children in an atmosphere filled with some of the most foul smells you can imagine. The children I worked with didn't have control over their bowel functions. Many times they would smear excrement all over themselves, over the doors, and over you. And I often asked, Lord, is this you? Did you really guide me here? Before long, I came to understand that the Lord had brought me there by sovereign appointment to teach me about himself. That place in Lubbock, Texas was my own personal school of the Holy Spirit. In fact, most of the key principles I use in my ministry today, I learned in that place. There are hundreds of little children there, and most of them had basically been thrown away or discarded by their parents. Although they were officially wards of the state, in reality, they were little pieces of broken humanity with nobody wanted or nobody claimed, whom nobody wanted or nobody claimed. The Lord said to me, quote, my word says, if your father and mother forsake you, I will take you up. I want you to go and love these little ones and be my ambassador of love. So I went. For the first nine hours, I would work with the ambulatory children, those who could walk. Then I would go to the non-ambulatory wards to work with little brain-damaged babies. Many had been born to mothers on heroin, or, and others landed there after their alcoholic parents had brutally attacked and injured them in fits of rage or alcohol-induced delirium. These babies would stay in the little cribs until they were too big to fit in them. And I would just hold them in my arms and gently rock them in a rocking chair while I prayed in tongues, my prayer, my prayer language of the Spirit. I just knew Jesus loved them, and I knew that I loved them too. It was as if Jesus broke off a little piece of his heart and put it in me. I truly loved these little children. The Lord started healing them. Suddenly I found that these little ones, who were never supposed to walk, were walking. One little girl whose official medical file stated that she had been born blind, started seeing and responding. Every time I came into the room, even though I made no noise, she would turn around and look at me while putting her hands out. It's true, the Lord started healing these children. It was during that time that I was assigned uh, to what was called a uh, psychology task force to administer behavior modification techniques to some of the children. These techniques were designed to teach selected 15, 16, and 20-year-old children how to tie their shoelaces or go to the bathroom unassisted. I'll never forget the day I met a 16-year-old boy in the group of children whom I'll call Stevie. Stevie had Down syndrome. Stevie was afflicted with something even worse. He he was a self-mutilator who was driven to cry out and beat himself in the face constantly. The staff psychologist at the school had secured permission from the state officials in Austin, Texas to administer electric shock therapy to Stevie for a six-month period. This negative operant conditioning, as they called it, was meant to modify Stevie's behavior by administering electric shock anytime he beat himself. They graphed his behavior over that period of time, and I saw the graph. He just got worse and worse instead of better. By the time I was there, his face felt like dry alligator skin because he beat himself continuously. Finally, the attendants tied Stevie's hands in splints so that he couldn't bend his arms to reach his face. The only problem was that the other children in his dormitory ward developed a new game once they figured out that Stevie's hands were bound at his sides. They liked to run up behind him and push him so hard that he would lose his balance and fall down. Since Stevie could no longer instinctively shield his face with his arms because of the splints, every time the kids on the ward played their game and pushed him, Stevie would land face down on the floor without any way to protect himself or soften the landing. Most of the time, we would find him with blood streaming from his nose, lips, and mouth. Whenever I would come, Stevie could sense God's love coming from me, and he would put his head on my shoulder and just weep. Finally, I said, Lord, you told me that you sent me here to love these children. What is the answer for Stevie? Very clearly, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, this kind goes not out but by prayer and fasting. Although this may be very familiar scripture to you, it sounded totally foreign to me. i had attended a Bible university for four years and had earned my bachelor's degree there, but I didn't even know that the Spirit was quoting a scripture passage to me from Matthew seventeen twenty-one. Another thing I'd failed to learn about during my four years of Bible college training was the subject of fasting. I said, fasting, doesn't that mean no food and no water? So I didn't eat and didn't drink water or Coke or anything for that matter. I didn't realize that when I fasted from food that I would have dreams about fried chicken, baked potatoes, and steaks. I was also unaware of the fact that when you do without water, your priorities will change. By the third day of my fast without water, I began to get jealous every time I heard someone washing his hands in a bathroom sink. One time a person came out of the bathroom and I said, you know what? You could have been drinking that water. He said, what? And I hurriedly said, no, nah, forget it. On the fourth day, the Lord spoke to me and said, You can drink. So I started drinking water. But I did not break the fast until the 14th day. And the Lord said, Now pray for Stevie. When I arrived from my shift at the school that day, I took Stevie into my little office cubicle and said, Stevie, I know your mind may not understand what I'm saying, but your spirit is eternal. I want to tell you that I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've come to preach good news to you. I want you to know that Jesus Christ came to set the captives free. Then I said, in the name of Jesus, you evil spirit of mutilation, you let go now in the name of Jesus. Suddenly, Stevie's body was flung about eight feet away from me and hit the other wall of the cubicle. When Stevie hit the wall, his body was elevated about three feet above the floor, and then he slid down the floor, And let out a long sigh. Immediately, I smelled an incredible foul smell of rotten eggs and burning sulfur in the room, which gradually faded away. I quickly went to Stevie, cradled him in my arms, removed his splints while he watched with wide eyes. Then Stevie began to bend his arms and gently feel his face. I watched him softly touch his eyes, his nose, his ears, and then he started sobbing. He had realized that for the first time, he was not being driven to beat himself. He was gently touching his face, and he had been delivered. In that unforgettable moment, the Lord revealed to me what a powerful weapon he had given us to pull down strongholds and set the captives free. Within a few months, all the scabs had fallen off of Stevie's face. He had begun to heal because he had stopped beating himself. He writes, if you are reading this book, frankly, you are reading this book because of Stevie, and I thank God for this young man and for the way the Lord used my compassion for his desperate situation to impart to me the divine truth that I'm about to impart to you. reading a book like this, I'm not trying to make it somber, but in reading a book, even just one story, what does it start to do inside, right? You think about people who are lost in your life or family members, and you're like, oh man, like we barely had the discipline to maybe pray, let alone to fast and pray for as long as the Lord would lead us to do that. I spent a lot of time thinking about this this topic of fasting, and there's a period of time um, probably about 35 years back in the previous 100 years, that basically the topic of fasting wasn't ever written about. It was almost completely eliminated out of the church uh, entirely. It's not uncommon in Scripture. It was just almost entirely eliminated from from uh, the, the practice of Christians, in particular in the Western church, which is where we write the books. And it, Whenever there's something like that that is drastically like ignored in Scripture um, for, for a period of time, you begin to ask the questions like, Okay, how did Satan get into this thing? And what, what is he doing? And why is this such an important thing for him to eliminate from the church? That, that's what starts to be inside of me, starts to work that way. I started thinking of this a little bit like tithing. You have to follow me through on this one till the end, okay? As a church, we pass a basket around, right? People put money into the basket. They put money in so that you can have a pastor. You can have a building. We have people that are spend their time praying, seeking the Lord, and asking him, how do we help the church to grow to know him? Okay, this is this is why we do this. We preach that Christ followers should give 10% of their income. This is called a tithe. Um, and he wants the first 10%. Now, the government takes the first 30, typically. So then we kind of slide in there, the 10% tribe before that. Uh, and then above and beyond that, we call that offering. So above the 10%, we give to missions and missionaries and building projects and people that are heading out, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, we as a church also give 10% of everything that gets tithed here. We give that away to missions as well. And God makes uh, some startling promises about it. And there's one in particular that is used very regularly. And it says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That's an incredible promise, right? It's it's the promise that we get to test Him in our giving. Now, we're going to compare this now to tithing. Did you know, I mean to fasting, did you know that there's more Scripture written about fasting than there is about tithing? There's more. In the Western church, we give. In fact, Manitoba has the highest tithing in all of the country per capita. This is the Bible Belt. There's more churches in Manitoba than any other province. There's more money that is given to charity and church than any other province here. Because in the church, we give. But fasting. My guess is that less than 1% of the Canadian church actually fasts on a regular basis. That's just a guess. I have no statistical answers for that. I'm guessing it would be more like probably 0.2%. In fact, more people in the church will fast for personal health benefits than for spiritual health benefits. Because fasting, we know, is really good for us. Right? There's more and more studies coming up by secular doctors, especially as natural paths and stuff are rising up. There's one I just listened to the other day. 16 hours every day you should go without food to remove all the toxins out of your body. And three days every month water only. This is how you're going to get healthy and remove all the toxins in your body. People will fast for personal health benefit if it can be proved to me that my body will be better. Interesting. But how about for the, the reason different than that, for spiritual reasons, how do you convince someone that it's really good for your spiritual soul to give up something that you may not see a benefit return to you personally? How do you you convince people that? The Bible's talked about fasting since the beginning. All the way through the Old Testament. We'll look at a couple stories there, but this got me thinking, why do people give and not fast? Because it's easy to give money. It requires nothing except that's what it requires of you. Time and energy. If you feel guilty, it's just put a little bit in And you're relieved from it. Now, what if God says, I want 50% of your income to be given away? Then it's uncomfortable, right? If if you don't make enough to live off of just 50, it's uncomfortable. Now you have to make changes. But just to put money in, right? We see the the widow and the rich man who goes and puts everything in. And the, the widow puts one little bit. She gave everything. It cost her something. Fasting is like that. Fasting means the removal of comfort. Something that we love to go to to make us feel better. Okay, so it's the removal of things that just make us feel better. It's not bad to have comfort. It's just bad to have comfort as our God. Do you follow? So, some examples. You pass a beggar on the side of the road. Okay, you see the panhandlers all over the place. Uh, Likely at some point, most of us have felt guilty and we look for some change and we give them some change and the guilt subsides because we've given some money, right? Some of us are propelled. This is all very good. Propelled, we go to the store, we buy some groceries. takes a little bit more effort, discipline, to go and bring them some food. You follow me? But actually, we all know it's not actually helping them in the long haul. It requires something different if you're going to rescue and help these people on the street. Not all of them want it, but it's going to take something from you, which is going to take your time, your money, your energies, your prayer life. It's going to take all of these things where you enter into a relationship, you invite people to come, you die to yourself to say, for you, I'm willing to lay down my life to help them. That takes something entirely different than handing money. You follow? Money is, we have abundance of money in our country, so it's easy. Oh, we just forfeit a coffee. Ah, there's a quarter for you, young man. Ah, bless you. No, I'm being a little cheeky. It's, uh, I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying it doesn't accomplish the entirety of what we actually know needs to be accomplished at some point. Fasting is the same way. Here, God, have my money. Ah, I feel way better. Here, God, I'll, uh... I can serve once a month as long as it's kind of during the Sunday morning and, and that's where I'm going I'm just going to give my life to that part. Then I don't feel guilty when people ask, where are you serving? I'm like, oh yeah, I, I help in whatever. Now, is it good to serve? Yes or no? Yeah, is it good to tithe? Yeah, it's really good. what I'm saying is it doesn't take that much to do that, which is why we have a discipline called fasting, which we're going to build into here. We as a people, as a church, we are actually motivated by a societal norm that says, keep it comfortable. But the Bible doesn't ever say that. In fact, it says the opposite. Get out of the boat. Right? Sink or swim. You're probably going to sink. So get out of the boat. We're going to give it a whirl. Give your life for the kingdom. We have one life to live. It's supposed to be a supernatural life. There's a world that's going to spend eternity away from God unless we bring the glory and presence of God with us to these people but our culture says be comfortable. My goal is 100% not to make you comfortable. In fact, I kind of want you sweating today. Me too. Otherwise, how do we grow in faith? Otherwise, we just live our lives and it's not faith building because it's, you can do it yourself. But when God says, I want this of you, and you're like, God, I can't, then actually he gets to become strong and faith begins to grow. If it's just comfortable and you never jump out of the boat, you're like, you never know. You never pray for someone, you never never know. Faith means it's going to be uncomfortable because you're going to be pushed beyond what you can accomplish yourself. You're going to be pushed to a place that doesn't go where just what you are okay doing, it's going to go beyond that so you know it's not you and you know that it's God. Amen? That's the point. It, It pushes you beyond this. So, again, I'm not trying to pressure you into fasting. I'm trying to create a biblical argument because I think Satan and the world is going to fight you on this one. I have lots of excuses on why I shouldn't fast regularly. I I know all of them. So if you need some, I I got lots. But this month, God has made it abundantly clear that actually we need to fast corporately, but I need to fast. Because I have some pretty significant requests of him. And the requests are things that he has said he wants to do. And my faith isn't all that big. And he says, actually, I want you to fast and pray. And I got some significant requests. We need wisdom. Yes or no? Yeah, we need wisdom. We need clarity on how to move forward. We actually need millions and millions and millions of dollars. Not just to have a church, but every church that gets planted. You need some kind of building, whether it's rent or buying. You need something to upkeep. We live in the great north. Right? Like you can't do it without. So we, there's lots. We're, we're facing a world that is so opposed to the Bible and Christian laws and values right now. We we need God to enter in and to break through. We're entering into a war. We're not entering into a game of monopoly. Where you just take a little more out of the bank. We're entering into a war that requires us to get, Matt said, prayed. That we get behind God and move where he is. We actually need him to be our front guard our rear guard, our right, our left, that we're here and we say, God, where you go, I go. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable I'm in. That's different. Follow? Okay. So let's, before we go too much for farther, we can't do this without God. We can't. I am so desperate to know him more, to worship Him, to die to my flesh, and it's the flesh that keeps me often from walking in complete obedience. Fasting deals with this. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, keep that in your minds, okay? Full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Okay, so it's real. It's not like, ah, oh, he was just filled with glory. No, he's probably lost like 50 pounds in that month and he drank water. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, as it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Uh, You're with me. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You see all the excuses? All of them are going through. Every one of them. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It wasn't over. The war wasn't over. He just, he didn't win it there. Tried to give him every excuse using biblical answers to get him out. But then the most glorious part comes next. You know what the next part is? This is the best part. Look, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. What did it say at the beginning? Full of the Spirit. Now it says power. There's a difference. It's it's not the same thing. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And it continues on about the impact that he had. I can only surmise when I look at this, something happened supernaturally, internally, in Jesus, when he went and the enemy was going after him in every way possible in the 40 days and coming out of it, he wasn't just full of the Spirit. He walked in the power of the Spirit. It was in this moment, like, what happens in Jesus' public ministry from there, because this is where it starts, it just went nuts. Everyone he touched is healed. Everywhere he goes, uh, it's, it's non-stop. Where he preaches, people follow. It doesn't matter if he goes around the ocean or the lake over here, comes over the river, crosses this over here. People just, ah, they just go to him. They don't even yet know that he's God. They were just led there because of the power of the spirit that was in them. And they were just drawn in. You follow? The book of Joel, the Lord had this prophet summon the elders, the adult inhabitant, or inhabitants, the children, the nursing infants, even the bride and the bridegroom, those who are waiting for their marriage ceremony to observe a solemn fast is one nation before God. You can read about this in Joel 1 and 2. Why and for what? They prayed urgently that restoration would come. This is what they were waiting They wanted restoration. God asked this prophet to bring all the people together, young and old, and you're going to fast. And God answered their prayer with a great promise. But that great promise, it wasn't something that they got immediately then. It's because of that, God gave them a promise of what He was going to do. And we see it come to pass at the season in the Christian church that we call Pentecost. That's when the Joel prophecy is fulfilled at Pentecost. And I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, young and old, made, free, slave. All of them will be able to hear from God and prophesy. That was a promise that was given to a group of people that were fasting on behalf of God. Would you bring restoration? God answers it with a promise to them saying, this is what's going to come. And for us today, it gives us faith. Right? It gives us faith. You go, ah, Joel was prophesied. Here, I wonder what God is going to speak to us as a church about what is to come in the future. What God is going to do even after our lifetime what is he going to do? Is he going to give us promises that we're going to cling to and be a part of praying that all the way through that one day when we're in heaven and we're with him, he reveals to us what the prayers of Anchor Point in 2018 did? Maybe. Maybe. The answer wasn't what they were looking for. But as soon as they understood that God was giving them a promise about what he was going to do, they understood Then it was all fine. That that perspective, that's all they needed. Oh, God, now I understand what you're doing. But there's one precondition for this Holy Spirit outpouring that we see in the book of Joel, and that is prayer and fasting. You're going to have a hard time getting out of this one. (laughs) What's the power, or the purpose, I mean, and power of fasting? It's the best definition that I read. Fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. I used to uh, never bring lunches to work. Still don't. And it's amazing what you can do in your head. It's like, oh yeah, I totally fasted today. I fasted because I didn't have time to go home. To get a lunch, right? I, I did, didn't wake up early enough to get a lunch. That's not fasting. That's called, y- y- you did not plan your life out. That's called dumb. That's called not fasting. But we have these ways of making us feel good about this, right? Say, oh yeah, I totally, I fast all the time. Lots of lunches, I fast. No, I don't eat every ever eat breakfast. No, it's not about just not doing something. There's, there's, there's got to be something different for it. For the sake of an intense spiritual activity. I, I liked how that was phrased. We look in Matthew 6 16. When you fast, do not look somber, etc. But that word, when you fast, it's not if you fast, all the way through scripture, it talks about it's just understood you're going to fast. This is just a normal part of what you do. When you fast, just don't go around looking somber and beat up. And I don't know what that word is, Besheveled? <laughs> Did I get that, Mom? Besheveled? <laughs> is that a German word? It's English? Oh. Don't have a shovel. (laughs) Besheveled. Besheveled? I don't know what the word is. Disheveled. Don't have that shoveled. Whatever it is. We're not supposed to look that way. So he's telling us this. But when you're fasting, this is a part of what you're doing. And much of what is spoken on fasting is just accepted that way. Discipline is not uncommon, though, in our society. In many other things, we just don't seem to like it in the spiritual sense of the word. Have any of you ever played basketball? held a basketball, held one in your hand. Have you ever played basketball with me? I'm a terrible basketball player. I can run around. I can defend you if you're not very good. Um, I can shoot. I can probably 50% of the time, if we're just playing pickup, I can hit the basket, 50%. Of those, probably 10% go in because I can just get the basket. I get that backboard. And in a game situation, I'm at maybe a 2% average for sinking a ball. That would be at best. How do I become excellent at the game of basketball? Yeah, You discipline yourself to get up early, shoot thousands of baskets every single day from all over the place. You eat well. You exercise the right parts. You get professional help. Whatever it takes. If you want to become excellent at basketball, you're going to have to put the effort in and be disciplined to do it. Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. How about if I was going to learn how to knit a toque, what would I do? Wrong. I would hire my mom. (laughs) Or any of my daughters, um, not my son. They would do it for me, and that's how I would do it. No, it would take tons of hours of me sitting, painstaking, like, and I've tried it. I gave up seven stitches. Michaela redid them all. If that was crocheting? It's like knitting. It's kind of the same idea. How about university? You go to university, you live off of mac and cheese and rice. You have no salary, you take out loans, you give up all of your time, you study the wee hours of the night for What? an education, a degree. Why? To either do something that you love or to make some more money. But this is why we go to university. We, we do this thing called discipline for a reason. We do it in advancement of what that looks like. But spiritually, we don't really do it. And I think maybe one of the reasons why we got lots of babies in the faith because we've actually never been disciplined or the word disciple comes from this. We haven't been discipled in the things of spirituality or God or faith, the things that strengthen the inner person. We do what feels comfortable and what's easy. And that doesn't help us to grow, does it? Does it? No, comfortable doesn't help us grow. Comfortable just makes you comfortable. Comfortable just makes things nice. It doesn't help you grow. Bible says, seek first. Oh, I think I have this one. No, I don't. Okay. It says, but seek first first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well i wish my story was of much faith my story is of some faith i wish our church story was of much faith it's of some faith and i'm sorry that i've actually felt like that is okay to actually have some faith and to do just like do a little good like we're going to make it. We're going to pray, but, but not to actually say, God, whatever it takes. I, I haven't known maybe what that fully means. I think there's a, there's a struggle in the area of fasting, and I mentioned at the beginning, that there's been abuse of some of these disciplines, which is like, in order for God to love you more, you've got to fast or you need to pray. It doesn't increase His love for you. doesn't make Him more proud of you. What it does is it removes all these things that get in the way of a relationship with Him and that keep you from knowing Him more. It unleashes a supernatural power in your life that wouldn't have otherwise come. It it will help other people that you minister to be released from demonic oppression because some can only come from a life of prayer and fasting. This is how some of it's going to work. But it's worth it. Jesus was hungry in those 40 days. He was tempted incredibly. But after it, he walked in the power of the Spirit. It's not just self-denial. I fasted much in self-denial. I live a very busy life. And in my busy life, it only takes me a minute and a half to eat. Right? If I'm, if I'm desperate, I, I can grab a raw bagel. And I can just gnaw on that thing as I'm running to my next thing. And I'm satisfied because I have something in my stomach. Just to not eat something doesn't give me any more time with the Lord. I have to rework my whole schedule to say, God, it is so worth it for me to get on my knees before you. It's worth it for me to fast and pray. Fasting does not manipulate him. It actually, what it does is it brings us to the end of ourselves so that God can be the head, the leader, the king, the master. And we take our spots as servants of the Most High. So the question is, Are you ready to do this with me? That's the question. Is it worth it to walk down this road? In Scripture, the who's who of all of Scripture fasted. Abraham's servant, when he was seeking a bride for Isaac. Moses, on many occasions. Hannah, as she prayed for a child. David, many times. Elijah, after his victory over Jezebel. Ezra, when he was mourning Israel's faithlessness. Nehemiah, when he was preparing the trip back to Israel. Esther, when God's people were threatened with extermination. Daniel, on numerous occasions. The people of Nineveh, including the cattle, although I don't think that was voluntary. Jesus, when he began his public ministry. Paul, at the point of conversion. The Christians of Antioch, when they sent Paul and Barnabas off on their mission endeavors. Paul and others, when they were appointed elders in all of the churches. Not only those in the Bible, but those outside in all of church history. Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards. David Brainerd, Charles Finney, and on and on and on and on. All of those people doing it doesn't make it right for us to do it, but it sure needs to make us ask the question, is there something to it? Even secular people do this, which we talked about a little bit, but Confucius and Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, they all fasted too. So why should we fast? Give you a couple reasons, then I'll give you a couple of fasting things and we'll end it off here. Well, the first answer to why should we fast? It's probably the only adequate answer, but it comes from an urge or a sense of call to do it, a prompting or a sense of rightness. Somewhere in there we have heard God or we've felt in the inner man him propelling us to saying, Come, and we must obey. That's probably the The only really fantastic answer. And again, Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, when you give, when you fast. It's not if you do, if you do. It's when you do it. Second, fasting reveals what controls us. It's going to help you grow. What we do is we cover up the inside with food and other good things. We use this to comfort us. In fasting, these things boil up and come to the surface. So for me, one of the experiences in fasting, it was my lust for good feelings. use the word lust very, very specifically. When you're hungry, you don't feel good, so you want to do something that's going to make you feel good. Why I'm terrified about this fast that, that God is asking for me is I don't even have media to go to, to just turn on, to ignore all the feelings going on inside. I can't drown out anything. I have to live with my own thoughts. Yuck. That's terrifying, actually, when you you have no comforts to go to, because God says, I want you to give them all up, to have full, dedicated commitment and focus on me and me alone. And you got nothing to just go to. I can't even go to the bathroom and watch something. Right? Even there, I'm like, oh... At least if you're fasting, maybe you don't have to go to the bathroom. I'm not sure, but you understand? Like, all the comforts are gone. They, they're gone. And when it does that, it reveals. And I have this strong lust for good feelings. I like things to always feel good. I hate discomfort. Third, fasting should also be our response to urgent needs. had this up here before. We fast because there's a need. There's urgency. Certain drastic situations demand drastic means. It's only a disciplined person who can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. doesn't matter what the situation is. Those who are untrained. Those who are untrained. Lord. Those who are untrained. That would be hilarious if we did it three in a row. (laughs) Those who are untrained, who haven't disciplined themselves, what ends up happening is when pressure comes, when emergencies come, you actually can't walk it out. Matter of life and death, you don't walk it out. That's why we see Christians just bail. As soon as there's any little bit that comes against them, bail. Because we haven't actually walked through this thing. So the central idea in fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Again, there's nothing wrong with eating. There's nothing wrong with watching a video or media. There's nothing wrong with it. But we often need to set aside time in order for us to concentrate on something different. Remove distractions. Get God's perspective. Have Him see. There's a reasonableness to fasting There's a reasonable that says that is far beyond just starve yourself. It it helps us to see what God sees and it realigns us again. In the same way that fasting for the physical deals with toxins, fasting for the spiritual deals with toxins. It removes these things from in here and it's really good. So what type of fast should you do? I'm going to skim over a bunch of them. But what should you do? Um. I'll unpack them as the as the month goes on. Clearly, food is a really good one. I, I sent an email out to everyone who's on the email list. Um, if you did not receive it, I think it was a fairly lengthy, well put together, understandable email about fasting from food. If you didn't get it, fill out a little card and just come bring it on my stand right after, and I'll make sure that I'll forward it out to you. Um, so, food for sure is one. But I think there's some other ones in our. 20th century that actually need to be addressed. First one, I think, these are going to be maybe a little bit unusual for you, and I I stole some of these from Richard Foster. We need times of fasting from people. Wrap your head around this for a second. It's been said, it is in deep solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. It is pure affection and filled with reverence for the solitude of others. Solitude and silence teach me to love my brothers for who they are, not for what they say. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he writes in his book, Life Together. He entitled his first chapter, The Day Together, and the next chapter, The Day Alone. He saw it so clearly. Until we have learned to be with people, being alone will be dangerous a dangerous thing Because it will cut us off from the hurting, bleeding humanity. But until we have learned to be alone, we cannot be with people in a way that will help them. Because we will be bringing to that relationship our own. Our own, our own, our own, and our own. And not be able to listen to them or give them what the Lord has for them. So we need both. Alone and with people. Two, I think we need a time from fasting from media. amazing to me, I'm included in this list, that people are seemingly uncapable or unwilling to go through an entire day concentrated on one thing. That's amazing to me. Everything breaks up our sense of concentration. The newspaper, the radio, the television, magazines, and we wonder why we are fractured, broken, busted people. Because we can't even concentrate for one day on just God alone. Right? It's like. Right? We have this thing. No wonder we're a mess. Right? Like we don't even have like just one day that we just set aside for him. Some of us are enslaved to our televisions. The withdrawal is crazy for us. Paul would say it's a yoke of slavery. In Christ, it's freedom, but anything else is a yoke of slavery. Third, we need times of fasting from the telephone. <sighs> when you come to the prayer room, we expect that your phone is off. You can just flip it up, put it on airplane mode. We expect it's off. Some of you like, I need to read my Bible on it. That's fine. Airplane mode allows you to read your Bible, but have it off. And uh, don't get distracted by it because the enemy will be more than willing to have everybody text you and phone you when you're in the prayer room. Just turn that thing off. Like it's fine. No one's going to die unless you're on call as a medic. No one's going to die. Okay, so I don't know if any of you have ever been in a prayer meeting and people will actually stop praying to answer their phone. God, just a second. There's some really important business I got to do. You just hang on there for a bit. And we pull that beast out and we're controlled by it. And God's like, are you kidding me? Some of you are like, oh, I hope you're uncomfortable with that. Fourth, I think we need times of fasting from our mouths, from conversation, from talking. Hmm. You know why it's hard sometimes to remain silent? Especially for those of us in the industry? or the work of speaking, right? We speak, we counsel, it's out of this thing that it goes. Guys, when you go silent, it makes you actually feel really uncomfortable. makes you feel a little bit helpless because we're so accustomed to relying on our words to articulate the things we want, to manipulate what we want, to get our bosses to like us more, to control the things that are going on, to move people the way that we want to. We need to speak, but who's going to take control if we're silent? And I think we need times of silence and then God can take control and we can learn how to trust him. Is that okay to say that? I'm not looking at you. Are you looking at me? I think I have two more. I think we need times of fasting from, I'm going to say, billboards and advertising. You're like, is that not media? Yes, it is. Except everywhere we drive, you're not going to be able to avoid seeing it But everywhere you drive, what does it say? More, 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 more. Buy more. You need more. You got to get more. This is what's going to satisfy your soul more. And I think we need to turn that around and say less, less, less every single time. The sexy ladies and the little babies. If those images would trigger other thoughts in our mind, where we could actually realize that in our world, there's 460 million people that are victims of acute hunger and 10,000 of them will be dead before the day is done. We live in such a weird world right now that there's a million pigs in Indiana who have superior housing to more than 1 billion people who live on the planet. And we say more, more, I'm not opposed to buying things and having your house look nice. That's not what I mean. I mean to fast from, to have a dedicated time so that you realize the begging for more as opposed to the, like, God, what do you have? And it aligns us. It just brings us back so we don't keep getting further and further until before you know it, we're like way off in la-la land and we think that fasting is just missing a coffee. And last, I think we need... And it all just, these all build into each other. Fasting from our consumer culture. And I think we just need to fast from it. Because I think when we fast from this gluttony that we live in, where we find so much comfort, for our soul's sake, we need times when we can go and be among God's most favorite people, the broken, the bruised, the dispossessed, the homeless. Not to preach to them, but to sit with them and learn from them. And I think we all need that, where we go and we sit. We just get out of me and we go and we sit with the broken and learn from them. For the sake of our balance, for the sake of our sanity, we need times when we can be among the ones that Mahatma Gandhi said, live an eternal, compulsory fast. They don't have the option. That being all said, I'd like to invite you to join us in prayer and fasting this month. There is no obligation I'm not sitting at the door, counting as you come in. It's not like I'm going to give you a call and be like, "Hey, yoke up, iconic designer up in church. <laughs> I can't see you in church, where are you? It's not gonna be like that at all and I will not have any ill thoughts and I understand people are going away and I understand that thing but I wanna encourage you as a, as a church, come and let's seek the Lord together. It's so much easier to do it together than alone but you have to do some effort which means you gotta come up with a schedule. You gotta figure out time. Many of you have sent me, I'm gonna come here, I'm gonna come at this point, I'm gonna come here, awesome, thank you. There isn't obligation. You can just show up and be here whenever you want, but most of us need to have a bit of a plan. After today is done, we're gonna do a little bit of work in here and rearrange the rearrange some of the stuff. And What you're gonna find when you come in uh, to pray, cross will be set up, some of these out, there's gonna be these stations that are all around. And in the back of all these chairs, you're gonna find something that we've called January prayer points. They're not there right now, they will be there at 11 o'clock tonight when you all show up here or tomorrow morning at 4. And so we asked the Lord, would you give us some prayer points for the month of January that you would want to answer in the month of January to propel us in faith so we as a church want to keep praying and fasting together? So I sat and I said, God, is there anything? And we as a staff, we prayed and there's a few things that came and nothing was like hitting home really clear. And one morning I was here, uh, last week, no, two weeks ago, I was here and I wasn't thinking about it at all. And also, out of the blue, God's like, now go get your book. It's time to write them down. And boom, he just gave a bunch. Some from what we got at staff and some other ones. And so I'm going to tell you about them because this is for January. This is not the stations. It's it's different than that yet. But for January, so if any of these prayer points that come up, if any of them get answered, because it all impacts you, if any of them get answered... We want to know, because we're going to celebrate every weekend. We're going to celebrate if God does one of these. Okay, so what are they? Brace yourselves. Are you ready? Ooh, of course. Okay. One significant healing by just entering into the presence of God. Not laying on of hands. Not that people are here, someone walks in, and they get healed by being in the presence of God. Good? One wayward or prodigal child will come back into relationship with God. I know there's many in our church family we are asking for one. At the cross, one of the stations is you come in and you get to write down your needs or you have children that are not walking with God, you write them down because when you come, we don't want you to spend all your time praying about yourself. We want you to come and pray for the vision and pray for other people. And other people are going to come and they're going to look in the book and they're going to say, I'm going to pray for this one. And they're going to pray for your prodigals. Because sometimes when we pray for our own, it's important, but sometimes when we pray for our own, we get caught up in all of the emotions involved. But when we pray for other people, we can hear more clearly. So we're going to uphold each other's requests before the Lord in this place. Third, that 300 different people will come to pray in the prayer room in January. How many people come to this church on a weekend, including children? Two weekends ago, 197. Okay, So we have about 200 people We do not have 300 people that come to this church We have probably about 260 people that call at home But about 200 come on a weekend Asking the Lord for 300 different When, when you come in, there is going to be a guest book That we're going to have there Just behind the first door A guest book just for the first time that you come You put your name down in it And we're asking the Lord to bring 300 different people Into the prayer room Fair? Number four That five people would have confirmation in the calling of full-time pastoral ministry. Not everyone is called to be a pastor. But I'm asking the Lord that he would confirm with people, five of them, that they would be called. Um, Doesn't mean they start today. Doesn't mean that they're going to start in five years. Doesn't mean that they're going to fulfill the calling in 30 years. But that God would speak and give clarity to the calling. Number five, that five people that have confirmation in the calling of intercession at Anchor Point. This is like the Annas and Simeons. Why is this important? Because we can never send anyone to go plant a church unless we have intercessors that are behind them and backing them in prayer. It's of utmost importance. And last, people are going to laugh at this one, but I really like it. That 15 people would hear from God to commit to volunteer in children's ministry. And you think, what in the world? Is the need that great? No, we can absolutely just pull it off. I actually think what's gonna happen is there's gonna be an increase of families that are gonna come and we're gonna need so many more children, workers to be here, but not just people that come. It's like yeah, I can I can fill that spot because we ask you to, but actually come into here, hear from God. I need to give a portion of my life to help them, to help this next generation. So that's what I'm asking for. Those are our six prayer points that we have for January, apart from all of our stations and the vision and all that stuff. Does that make sense to you? Is that good? So you're going to notice there's four stations here. We have one praying for Winnipeg and the government and all that stuff. We have one praying for Iceland and what's going on in Europe. We have one praying for the raising up of leaders. One for Winnipeg and Winnipeg churches. Side note, there's like 299 churches in Winnipeg. And if every person in Winnipeg, just in the perimeter, would go to the churches, every church would have to be a mega church. We'd have to have 3,750 people attending every church in Winnipeg for everyone to be in a church or have a church. Is there a need for more churches? Yeah, is there a need for growth? Oh, yeah. We're on probably the upper 25% in terms of size of church in the average in Winnipeg. Did you know that? Most sit around the 130, 60 to 130 mark. So we have there, here we have a promise wall. Every one of them has instructions, the promise wall. If there's a significant promise that God gives, you're gonna go, you can color, God shows you a Picture, vision, verse, take some tape, slap it on that wall. We're going to fill up promises. If you need to be propelled because you come, you're exhausted, you're tired from fasting or whatever it is, go and read the words It's to spur you on and to encourage you. And then we have the vision station over there. We'll have kind of behind Jessica by the doors, we'll have a little shelf. There'll be blankets that we're going to clean every day for you or every week, I mean, for you. So if you need a blanket because it's chilly or you just like to wrap yourself up, fasting makes you cold. And we have wind blowing through this place. Grab a blanket, wrap yourself up, just put it away when you're done and we'll just make sure that we keep washing it week by week. Okay, you got it? Are you excited about prayer and fasting month? Church, I don't think you fully understand or grasp what the Lord is doing. I've had the privilege of spending many, many, many hours in here alone seeking him. He has something so marvelously great in store for what's going on. Some of you have committed time like, 35 to 50 hours a week in here. That's crazy. I don't know how how you're going to set your schedule up to do that. Some have done that saying, no, I need in, and I just needed the excuse to have it. I'm going to be here as much as I possibly can. This is not the requirement. I'm not more pleased with you if you do. What I'm saying is ask the Lord. Ask him, God, what do you have? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to ask him to speak to you. And, uh, and I'd like you just to write that down because it starts tonight. So Jesus, fasting is its a hard discipline. And yet, God, I think today we looked and we recognized the need for it. And God, we are going to need you, your Holy Spirit to actually be the one to speak what the Father is wanting for us. God, I'm asking, would you make our spiritual eyes open to hear you today? Would you show us, God, when are we supposed to be here? What is our fast supposed to look like? What are the needs that we're supposed to have? What are are the things, God, that that you want us to earnestly seek you for? God, church-wise, but otherwise, God, is there something that you earnestly want to propel us to fast and pray for? God, would you help us in this? We need to be you. Teach us, God. It's not just January. God, we want to become people that fast and pray. God, we want to have testimony about how this impacted or transformed us, God, to propel us in faith. God, we don't want to miss out on any of the things that you have, Jesus, in terms of how do we move forward and how do we seek you, God, wholeheartedly. So thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've already promised. Thank you for how we're going to be pressed to get out of the boat this month. Thank you that when some of us are going to sink, there's going to be others that come alongside and hold us up. God, that we're going to become a church family that is united together, desperately seeking you and pursuing you. God, we want you to have all of the glory. And God, asking that this would propel the churches as we pray, the churches in Winnipeg, that this would become the place in, in, in the whole country, the center of the country that would burst forth a movement of your Holy Spirit that would impact the entire nation. God, that we'd see transformation. God, that it would happen that way, not because of us, but because of you, God, you leading us and you directing us, you being the head. We love you and we submit to you. In your name we pray, amen.